one. And we are finally live, guys. Welcome to another episode of the uh, We Think God is Awesome podcast, where we think God is awesome. Um, it's My name is Aaron. I will be your host today. Um, and we are joined by my special guest, Eric Anderson. Eric, say what's up. Hello, everybody. Hi there out there in the world. All right. Uh, Eric, we'll, we'll be interviewing Eric for his testimony. If you, it's your first time here, we interview people um, about uh, what God has done awesome in their lives, typically how they how God uh, saved them. And um, hopefully you'll be inspired or worship God more because of their testimony. Um, it's really holy ground here um, where God has been in their lives. And so uh, if you haven't already, give us a like on Facebook, join our group, invite your friends if they like to listen to Christian testimonies. And um, yeah, give us a hashtag replay if you're catching this on the replay. Um, Eric is an awesome guy. And uh, if you want to share this video with people who might have similar stories like Eric, maybe Eric, I'm sure he would be willing to talk with them, speak with them, all that. Anyway, Eric. Um, oh, I don't know if I introduced myself. My name is Aaron. I'll be your host today. Uh, Eric, take it away. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? Where you've been? How long you've been a Christian? Some general information here. Uh, hi, everybody. My name is Eric Anderson. I'm 46 years old. Uh, I'd say I've been a Christian probably now for about five and a half, six years. Uh, started off uh, Roman Catholic, uh, uh, kindergarten all the way up to I graduated high school. Um, and uh, who am I? Um, I'm a very complex individual. Aaron said that you may have something similar. I don't think so. I don't think many people have similar stories to mine. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a person who's kind of gone through the ringer um, more than once and kind of come out on the other side every time with a smile on my face. And it's not thanks to me. It's thanks to God. Um, I really love this idea. Uh, I love the idea of uh, being able to chat with you, Aaron. Uh, I love you. I love uh, your wife and your soon-to-be family of 12 uh, coming right around the corner. Uh, and I'm excited to do this because the whole principle, the whole idea behind it is keeping it real 100%. And you know that's at my core. Uh, so as we're going today and we're chatting today, uh, you may find out some things about me you didn't know. And I'm okay with that because I really believe the, the man I am today is because of the things that I've been through in the past, my brother. Awesome. Awesome. Maybe tell us a little bit about how you grew up, um, uh, what what shaped what you believe in um, before you met Christ, like your life before Christ, basically. Tell me, tell us a little bit about that. Oh, then we call that the... the the life, uh, W-A-B-C, with alcohol before Christ. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> before Christ. You know what? I grew up with an amazing family. My uh, mom and dad were two amazing people. They uh, they worked their butts off to make sure that we had everything we wanted. My dad had two jobs. He was a police officer and a plumber. Uh, mom was a registered nurse, uh, director of nursing for many years. Uh, and she opened up her own business. They worked hours and hours. Uh, I got a an amazing little sister, my sister Nicole. I don't know if she's watching. She said she would be. I hope she is. Um, yeah, my family life was pretty spectacular. I, I, I can't be uh, one of those people that says, well, I had a rough life, and that's how come I turned out as rotten as I did. Uh, I, I had the support I needed. I had the love I needed. Um, but my life uh, before Christ was definitely a rocky road. I suffered from uh, depression as a child. At least that's what it was labeled. Uh, they, they labeled me with major depressive disorder. They said I had bipolar. Um, Come to find out many years later that that really wasn't the case. I was suffering from uh, addiction, uh, alcohol and drug addiction. Um, and uh, they put me on all these drug uh, drugs for psychotropic drugs to help me out. And uh, when I go to see the psychiatrist and the psychologist, I, I would leave out the part that 
I was getting high. You know, I didn't think that was important and that was my business, not theirs. So, uh, yeah, so my life uh, before Christ was, you know, like I said, I was surrounded by love. I was surrounded by amazing friends, family. Uh, my next door neighbor, Louis LaCorey, I grew up with him and his mom and dad, they were amazing. Um, Kim LaCorey and brother Frankie, you know, they, 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 I had a lot of friends and family. I just was kind of going through some turmoil in my life. What? I, I looking for something. What made you, you had such a great home life, you said. What exactly. made you go into drugs and suffer from addiction and all that stuff? What, I don't see the connector. Yeah, I, I, I was lucky to watch uh, uh, Adam came on your, I think it might've been your first interview and uh, he said it perfectly. He said he did something and he really liked it. <laughs> and uh, I remember smoking my first marijuana cigarette, they call it a joint and I really liked it. Uh, I liked the way it made me feel. I think what it did for me was it dulled my senses. Um, it it kind of made me a different person. And, and then once I started smoking at the age of 12, that was it. I didn't stop. And uh, I'm 46 years old, and I can tell you right now that I still love marijuana. It is the most amazing thing in the world. Um, I haven't smoked. I'm six years plus sober, um, but I can never smoke marijuana again as long as I live. I, I know that. I can't go near it. So how'd you get like the funds to fuel your addiction and uh, where did that come from? Mom and dad were very generous people. I was very blessed. I had allowance. I didn't have to worry about anything and whatever allowance they gave me, that's what I used it on. I used it on, on getting my drugs. Um, you know, again, it, it wasn't back in the day expensive. It's not like it is nowadays. Back in the day, you could get, you know, drugs for a relatively cheap price. Uh, and we loved to drink on the weekends. We used to play the game quarters. I was the quarter champion, man. I would bounce that quarter right into the shot glass every time, man. Mm -hmm. So we'd play quarters and drink and smoke. And believe it or not, it was a lot of fun. I, I'm one of those people that looks back and says, oh, it was horrible. And, you know, but that life was a big part of who I was, unfortunately, for many of my years. How, how long were you, uh, in, you, know, you know, addicted to all that stuff? And, and what kind of stuff were you addicted to? My life, I, I basically, uh, my drug of choice is marijuana. Um, I uh, used alcohol. I used cocaine. Um, I used that ecstasy drug once or twice. Didn't like that too much. And that, that was the younger generation thing, I think. <laughs> that, that didn't work out too well for me. But uh, towards the end, I would use anything and everything that came in front of me. Uh, I was really miserable, depressed. Uh, October uh, 12, 2012 was the culmination of miserableness in my life. I was doing everything and anything. I had a, a little girl, her name is Chanel, God bless me with her. And I came up with this brilliant idea that I would work the day shift and I'd allow my wife to work the night shift. And I didn't like that decision after I made it. I never saw my wife. Um, I got very depressed, started drinking very heavily. Um, and, you know, they say in life that you have to hit uh, a rock bottom um, before you go on the straight and narrow. And sometimes you hit that rock bottom and they have what's known as a trap door. So you hit the rock bottom and then there's another trap door right below. And I had, I had a couple of trap doors in my life. So uh, I hit a couple of rock bottoms. And then the last rock bottom, and I want to share this story because this is one of the stories that began me on my journey to Christ. Wait, so before you, before you do that, um, how long of a time period are we talking here? For drugs and alcohol, the age of 12 to the age of 40. 
Wow. And then when did this this last this uh, next trap door hit? What, what uh, the last trap door was probably it was probably going on for about a year or so. You know, after my little girl was born, I was just I was miserable. And and, and it's crazy because uh, it's because I love my wife so much and I wanted her to be in my life. And we didn't see each other. We were like two passing ships in the night. I'd come to work. She'd be going to sleep. And it just wasn't what I wanted. Um, you know, I don't blame her. I mean, we had we had to do what we had to do for the for the family. Um, but when you are addicted and you have this addiction and things don't go your way, you turn more into that addiction. Mm. It's just solace. You don't if you don't have anywhere else to go, if you don't can't go to anything or anyone, you tend to keep getting higher and higher and higher and you hit a rock bottom. So you're talking like near 30, 38, uh, no, sorry, 28 years, near 30 years. You know, you could do the math. I'm going to leave that on you. But yeah, you sounds right. <laughs> the majority of my life, I was high. Yeah, okay. My life was high. And listen, you know, you hear people tell you these horror stories. I was working two jobs. I was, uh, what I thought was supporting my family, doing everything right. I remember when I hit that rock bottom and uh, my mother had told me, listen, you need to go into rehab. I said, I can't. You know, I have to take care of my family. You know, I have to work. But the truth of the matter is I really wasn't taking care of anyone because if I don't take care of myself, mm -hmm. I you know, okay. yeah, so okay, so tell us about this uh trap, this other trap door here. All right, so here we go the trap door. I uh, unbeknownst to myself, I actually uh recorded a video, a suicide video. I don't remember making it, put it on my phone, told the world and everybody that I'm, I'm done, uh, it's over, uh, can't do this anymore. And this was on my phone. I found this about two weeks after hitting that rock bottom. I didn't even know I made the video. Uh, I'll explain a little bit more about that. So I, I kind of lost. I couldn't take it anymore. And I um, made the decision um, that life was no longer worth living. And I had been on uh, prescription medication, Clonopin, uh, which is like Xanax. Uh, most, most people know what Xanax is. And I took about 20 or somewhat pills with a gallon of wine. Um, and I didn't expect to wake up. That, that was it, you know. Uh, lay down in the bed, and uh, my wife came home from work later, and uh, I woke up the next morning to my wife punching me uh, and yelling at me, "Come on, you gotta go to work!" Uh, so I stumbled out of bed, and uh, <laughs> I put on a pair of her jogging pants that said "Juicy" on the butt, uh, <laughs> no underwear, uh, a pair of work boots, a jacket, a winter jacket, uh, and this was October, so it wasn't necessary. And um, I kind of rolled out of bed. And I remember I grabbed the bottle, whatever was left in the bottle, and I took it, swallowed them down. And I made the decision that I was going to get in my car and I was going to uh, jump off of the Verrazano Bridge. Verrazano Bridge is a bridge in New York. It's the longest suspension bridge. And it, uh, it, you jump, you're done. And I remember getting in my car and driving. I was in the middle of the bridge. And I was driving nice and slow. And all of a sudden, somebody comes behind me and starts beeping the horn. Could have went to the left. They could have went to the right. There, there really was no reason. And I'm like thinking to myself, come on, pass me. And I'm looking for the right spot to pull over and jump off of this bridge. And this person is beeping and beeping and beeping and beeping. And I says, what the hell is wrong with this person? Um, you know, I look back at that now and I know that was God. Um, because... There's no coming back from that. 
you make that decision and you plummet off of that bridge, there's no coming back. So I got angry and I remember cursing and, rah, 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 and I ran, I, I stepped on the gas and I drove to New York and I drove to Staten Island. I went to my best friend in the world's house. Um, Louis, I don't know if you're watching, but wel welcome to the podcast. So I went to Louis LaCorey's house uh, and I went to his garage and I sat down and I said, ah, life is tough. So what do I do? I decide to have some wine. So he breaks out some red wine for me and I'm in his garage drinking some red wine. And uh, we started talking, and I, I, I think, if I, if I recall correctly, I started annoying the living hell out of him. Uh, I think I was telling him that I needed a joint, I needed to get some weed, da, da, da. and he's like, all right, bro, you relax, relax, relax. And at some point, I think I, I, I just drove him to the point, like, all right, so go, get out of here, go get your weed. Um, and that's all I remember. Um, it was told to me by my friends that I said something along the lines of F the world, uh, it's over. Um, I got into my car, I uh, drove out like a wild man, came around the corner and I took out a light pole, uh, went around another quarter, corner and took out my first uh, parked car, came around this next corner, I was kind of doing a U-turn I guess, uh, and took out two or three more parked cars. I almost killed someone uh, who jumped out of the way. Um, and that's the scariest thing to me. Um, my friend Louis said that I came barreling down the block, maybe going 60, 70 miles an hour with three tires, sparks shooting out from the other one, staring straight ahead. They said I had a look on my face of just uh, determination, I guess. And I took my car and I drove it into another park at about 60, 70 miles an hour. Uh, I was driving a Ford Expedition, um, crashed into another car, the car went vertical. Uh, hit the other car, went straight up in the air. Um, should have flipped over, I should have died. Uh, there's no doubt, no doubt in the world. Um, airbags deployed and all of a sudden Eric woke up because <laughs> those airbags have a tendency to wake you right up. Um, and I got out of the car and I looked around and there were people all around me, 20 or 30 people screaming at me calling me every name in the book. And I had no idea what happened. I had no idea what happened. Um, that was that trap door. There was no more trap doors. There was nowhere else to go. I uh, went into rehab thanks to my family. They, they, they urged me. Almost lost my wife. My wife actually called and reported the car stolen. Um, she was done with me. Uh, almost lost my family. Um, then Hurricane... Uh, I think it was Sandy came through New York, destroyed it while I was in rehab. Um, but I remember being in rehab and you say you get sober. This was October 12, 2012. I remember that they asked me to give my testimony, very similar to what I'm doing here. And uh, I, I kept saying, thank God I didn't kill anyone. And there was a gentleman in the rehab who says, you know, Eric, I've never heard you once say, thank God you didn't kill yourself. And I think that was my first day of sobriety because I started to realize that I did care about myself. Hmm. Sorry. That I had a lot to live for. You know, I had a lot to live for and I didn't care about myself. I had no love for myself. And they kept telling me for the sobriety thing, you have to admit you're powerless and surrender it over to God. And I kept trying to do it myself. Um, and it wasn't working out for me too well. So that was the beginning of my sobriety, and that was, I think, the beginning on my path to Christ. You know, that's where it got started, my brother. Wow, that's amazing.
that's that's an incredible story like how the taxi driver is like honking you could have gone past you up <laughs> it's just urging you along um just making it to your friend's house and then i mean forget i mean you even had the pr prior uh suicide attempt with the pills the night before that all must have happened within like a 24-hour window right like a correct right correct so that day right there was like probably the worst day of your life i'd have to say so i'd have to say so and 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 that next morning when i woke up and my chest hurt from the airbags deploying and knowing my wife was done with me not knowing if i had a family the whole thing came slamming down like uh like a lightning bolt man it, it, it was it was uh pretty intense yeah what made what possessed you to go run or uh drive around like a like a madman in that car was it another suicide attempt was it just oh it had to be it had to be it had to be now, at this point in time uh, again i said i have no recollection of any of that yeah okay no recollection it was i was in what you call a blackout state um it, it, you get to a point where you just can't do it anymore mm. um, you know you, because if you're trying to do it yourself you're going to fail every time. Yeah. How old were you? Myself. How old were you? October 12, 2012. Um, for, so I'm, I'm sober now for six years, about 40 years old. It was, it was, wow. yeah. Wow. It's hard to believe that was only six years ago, huh? Yeah. You know what? It, it is. Um, it is. And, and like I said, it was, that was just uh, the beginning. In, in my journey to Christ, um, that sobriety is, I'm, I'm still, I'm still struggling with sobriety each and every day. Yeah. I take it each day at a time, every day. Uh, I give myself a lot of accountability on those stressful days. I'll look right at my wife and say, damn, I could use a Long Island iced tea right now. <laughs> and I do that on purpose. I want, I want everyone who loves me around me to know me that, Hey, I, I, I yeah, I'm not done with this. This is something that will be a, a real struggle with me for the rest of my life. It doesn't go away. You don't, you don't do it. But the truth is, I can't stop it. I need to surrender it to God. Mm -hmm. I need to surrender it to the people around me, the ones I love. And that's how I stay sober every day, man. You said that was the start. Uh, what happened next? What's, what's like the big move that happened next about that you could see God in? You know, God has a plan for everyone. Amen. Don't see it, you don't know it, and and I can tell you right now, don't try and figure it out. <laughs> don't bother, because when you think you got it down cold, he's gonna say you don't have a clue, sir. Uh, and I know now why, with the timing. Um, I got sober in October, and I started my journey of becoming a better father. Been a man, and I started going to church, dabbling, you know, dabbling. But if there was a good football game on, I was not going to church. Um, if the Jets were playing, I, yeah, not this time. But I, I went, yeah, I was dabbling in that Christianity thing, you know. Uh, and, and Reverend Mike, I don't know if you watched, I invited him as well. I, his church was awesome, a small group of people, and we would go, and it was church, man. You went, you, you, you were a church boy, and the message was there, and you. You go in in the in the morning. You come out late in the afternoon because it depends on how long it's going to take for that message. And you know, and I, I liked it, but I wasn't sold on the whole thing. But I know now why God needed me to be a better father, a better husband. Um, uh, in June, uh, my son DeAnthony, um, Chantel's boy, um, he was 19 years old. Uh, 
eve before his 20th birthday. Um, we, my, my wife and I had gone out and we got him a pineapple tart because he didn't like birthday cakes. <laughs> and uh, uh, being 19 for a birthday present, so what do we get? And uh, the best gift for a 19-year-old is money. So she said, let's give him 50. So I didn't listen. I pulled out $100. You know? I said, we'll give him $100. You know? And I was going fishing the next day. And, uh, and I remember I was in the living room on YouTube checking out my fishing knots because I was rusty. <laughs> and uh, I asked Chantal, should I invite the Anthony? He says, he's not going fishing with you. So uh, I was in my living room. Uh, and I was tying my knots, watching my YouTube. And the uh, neighbor uh, came into the house, ran into my living room and said, he's bleeding, he's bleeding. Uh, I'm a nurse, so I'm used to that. I'm used to one of the kids falling or something, they'd come in and nurse help out. And uh, I went outside and uh, went around the corner and there was a boy on the ground. Um, and when I rolled him over, I realized it was my son, Anthony. And uh, when I rolled him over, he looked in my face and uh, he had a look of terror and fear. That's a look I'm never going to be able to, never be able to get rid of from my memory. I don't know if I want to. And uh, I'm sorry, guys. I, I remember looking at, at, at his face and then I looked down at his chest and there was a big hole. Um, the Anthony was stabbed in his heart um, by, a, by a friend uh, over jealousy over girls. And uh, I remember screaming, call 911 and uh, put pressure on the wound. And, uh, you know, I've done CPR 12, 13, 14 times. And, you know, I've, out of the, those times, I was able to bring people back and give them a chance to see their family. And I must have been the biggest bumbling idiot. Uh, I don't think I was doing things right. And so I started CPR on my son. And um, I remember he took his last breath into my mouth. And I still feel that breath. I still see that moment. And uh, we lost our son then. Um, the hardest thing in the world was going to the hospital, um, and my wife followed behind. They wouldn't let her in the ambulance, and you could see she was kind of holding on hope, and she wiped my face, and I had some blood, and she said, you're bleeding, and I said, it's not my blood, and um, I knew that it was gone. I knew. I knew my boy was gone. I had to tell her, and um, it was the worst thing that ever happened to me. As, as, a, as a man, as a father, and uh, I thank God that I was sober. I thank God that I had started my sobriety. Um, and this was a tragedy that could have chased me right back to the bottle. This was a tragedy that could have chased me right back to the drugs. But I didn't. I, I knew what God needed me to do. He needed me to be a man. We need to be, to be there for my wife and my family. Um, I had to take care of things. I had to take care of my family. I had to take care of these boys that were looking for revenge. They, they wanted revenge. They, they wanted to go and they wanted to kill the murderer. They wanted to kill the murderer's family. There was a lot of anger, um, a, lot of, a lot of hostility. And um, Aaron, that day, that tragedy, that's what chased me into the arms of my father. Wow. Uh, I went back to that church and Reverend Mike and the New Testament Christian Church. They were the most amazing group of people in the entire world. They were there for me and my family. They were there at the wake. They were there. 
They brought food, they brought water, he paid for the dinner. And this is a small church just starting out struggling, but they knew what was about, what was important, how to do things. And his arm was around me in the videos when the news cameras were there and they were interviewing me. And um, yeah, I, I started going back to church. I don't think I've missed too many Sundays since then. Uh, football is no longer important in my life. I started to realize what's important. And I remember being in church and uh, I, I kind of had this debate and, and this going on in my life for a long time. When I came to Florida, I was working with Pastor Scott and um, Sunlight Community Church and we were talking about God and everything. And, and I remember telling everyone, well, I remember being in church kneeling down and Reverend Mike put his arms on me and prayed over me. And I heard the voice of God saying, I want you to speak for me. Now I, I, I hear, you know, it couldn't have been the audible voice. And then I, I have no clue. I have no clue what it was. I don't know if it was an audible voice, a voice in my head. Um, but I realized right then and there that there was a special purpose that God had for me. Um, this tragedy has a purpose. I, I, again, I don't know. Don't, don't try and figure out God's plan because here we are six years later and I'm starting to see what that plan was. Yeah. I'm starting to see some amazing things, but um, I'm happy to say that I love my family. I love my friends. They were such great support for me. Yeah. Um, you know, everyone, everyone, my aunts, my uncles, my sister, my mother, everybody, my friends, Louis, Melissa, I, I, everyone, Norman, Michael, I, all you guys. Um, I love you guys. All you guys were a great support system. Chantel's family was amazing. And then I came to Port St. Lucie and I met this handsome guy you see over there, Aaron. And, <laughs> Scott and uh, uh, yeah, Sunlight Community Church, uh, you guys were there for me when we first came. Uh, you guys were. Bill, um, you know, I remember him sitting down and chatting with me. And wow, that was pretty freaking awesome. Um, you know, and I've gone different paths and God's put me on different ways. And like I said, God, God puts you and calls you to do things. And sometimes you just have to go. Yeah. And, uh, you have to see where it goes. But I'm, I'm, I'm happy to say that that, that talking for, for God I'm glad I do it on Tuesdays with the youth group. So uh, was it the uh, what what was it like exactly? What when was it the the prayer? Was it the audible voice? Was it just going to church? Was it like a quick love? Like did you fall in love with it, or did you what what? How was that spiritually for you? Like what did you experience? Well, you know, I always say this, and you laugh at me. A lot of people say I get the Holy Spirit feeling. So every hair on my arm stands up. Get ready for it. My nipples get hard. <laughs> Spirit feeling, man. There's nothing better in the whole world. It's better than any high I've ever had. Yeah. Anything, man. Yeah. And you get that feeling, and I got that feeling. And but it, it, it's everything. It's a combination. It's not just the voice. It's not just this. It's not just that. It's the sobriety. It's the love of your friends. It's that little Christian church and seeing all that. It's it's young people that I've been able to deal with and touch and and love on man it's just everything all together and, I, and i'm still going through this process you know it it's it's not i'm not there yet i'm not even where i want to be yet. yeah um so i i'd like for you to speak to this maybe just really quick before we close out a couple of things um do you have anything to say uh, with people going through sobriety struggling with addiction do you have anything to say about that uh to them absolutely i, I would love to say this don't try and get sober don't try you can't do it. Only God can do it. Mm. 
If you try and you say, ah, today I'm going to do it. Today I'm going to put down the bottle. Today I'm going to put down the joint. Don't do that to yourself. We can't do it. We don't have the power to do that in ourselves. No, man, you don't. We are powerless over our addiction. Mm. You gotta surrender to God. You gotta cry. You gotta you gotta lift your hands up in the air. You gotta say, I, I, I need your help. I can't do this. Yeah. Isn't that like the first step? Absolutely. Okay. That, that you are powerless over your addiction. That's, that's important. Um, that's big. Yeah, and, and, and you talk about a step. You're talking about those 12 steps. Get your butt to a program. Mm -hmm. Get your butt to a program. Don't do it yourself. You can't do it. Yeah, you can't do it. You need you need something. Yeah, you need, you need something. something. You. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's great. That's awesome. Um, how about one more uh, person I want you to talk to, and that's people who are struggling with um, the loss of a loved one, particularly parents uh, with the loss of a child. Um, do you have anything to say to that? Yeah, thanks, Aaron. Yeah, the one thing I want to say is that there are support groups. Um, I didn't speak much about my wife, Chantel. Um, she is the most amazing woman on the face of the earth. I thank God for her every day. I don't know what the hell she sees in me. Uh, whatever it is, I'm glad she sees it. Um, she's part of a group called Parents of Murdered Children. Um, there is one branch right now in Fort Pierce. Uh, look it up, POMC, Parents of Murdered Children. Um, reach out to me. I'll hook you up with Chantel. That was the purpose of the tragedy, or one of God's plans in our lives was, it's it's not for me. I'm not, I'm not that Parents of Murdered Children guy. I, I don't find my solace there. I don't feel my support there. But it's an amazing group of people. Okay. She's uh, going to go and become uh, a member, an active member. She's going to the training. And she's looking to start a chapter in Port St. Lucie. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, man, because there's people out there. But there's support groups. Go to your church and just say, hey, I, I'm miserable. Help me. Uh, don't be afraid to ask for help. Yeah. yeah. Um, and one last question while we close up. Uh, really grateful for you being on here. Um, I mean, it's just a real big testament how God has worked in uh, your life and been pull you through these things. Uh, tell me, and this is how we're going to finish off every podcast, why do you think God is awesome? I think God is awesome because I'm standing here talking to you because I'm alive. Uh, God is awesome because uh, Chanel Maddie Anderson, my daughter, is amazing. Shane Anderson and Kyle Anderson, and I don't deserve them at all, but he gives them to me. I think God is awesome for my wife. I think God is awesome for my friends and my family. I think God is awesome because I'm sober. I think God is awesome for my business, Laptop USA, and it gives me the opportunity to love on people and be with people. Yeah. I've got so much, and I do so little for it. I don't deserve any of the stuff I have. I am a rotten scoundrel, but I am so blessed. I have an amazing family. I have amazing friends. Man, thank you, God, for everything. I mean, God is awesome because he loves me. Yeah. He loves somebody who's so broken, but he loves me. Yeah. It seems like you feel oh, like, like people, too, like the people that God has placed in your life, the friends and family, like the church and the community and stuff like that and family. Aaron, God has placed people in my life that have made my life so much better and so different. I, I When I started my business, I was lost and I prayed. I closed my eyes and said, God, I don't know what the hell I'm doing here. Yeah. Help me, help me, help me. And he sent this lady, Veronica Polabab, into my life and my business has just flourished. And I, I go to youth group and I'm there with people that I love and all of a sudden this guy goes, hey, uh, by the way, I do what you do. His name is Jeff, he's one of the youth leaders. 
this guy's been my best friend. He's, he's, he's right by my side the whole time. Like, what the heck is going on here? God puts these people into your life. Just open up your eyes and see where they are. God seems to work through people for sure. Yeah. Man, you just have to look for it, Aaron. We don't look for it. We don't appreciate it a lot of times. They say, God, you, God doesn't talk to you. You know, you pray. God talks to you so loudly. We just have to learn how to listen. It comes in the hugs. It comes in the people. It comes in everything, man. Just open up your eyes and see how he's talking to you, and you're gonna, your life will be so much better, man. That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, Eric Anderson, uh, it has been a true pleasure to know you as a friend personally, to have you on the team, and to now finally interview you and get your story um, just in video form um, on this podcast. Man, God is awesome. Uh, thank you so much for uh, for being on here. Do you have any last words, any last things to say to anyone? Uh, Aaron, I love you. Uh, I, I'm glad you're my brother. I can't wait to see what he has for future plans for me and you. Keep doing what you're doing, man. Keep doing what you're doing. You're touching so many lives, and this is what you're supposed to do. And uh, anyone that watched it, thank you for, for watching. Uh, get the word out about this. Let's start a movement. I, I think this is the beginning of a movement, keeping it real and looking at it and what God does in someone's life and why is he awesome. So this is just the beginning. I think we should blow this thing up. Man. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for tuning in and watching. Thank you, Eric, one last time. If you guys haven't already, share this video, like the page, share the group. The group is important because we're, like uh, Eric said, a lot of the people, the community around him have has helped him and maybe we could help some other people too. Anyway, thank you guys for watching and listening and we will see you guys next time. <laughs> See you guys. <laughs>